Yeah, soteriology is a word I had <laughs> never, I had never heard prior, and I will never use again. So, good job. <laughs> the idea of what try, that is. I'm gonna try my hardest to make that not true. Good for you. I'm gonna try my <laughs> hardest to make that not true. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the Cut for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay, joined by Eric Stearns, and today we're digging into my message from Sunday, which was about salvation, soteriology, uh, the study of the things of salvation, the way that God works uh, his saving work in our lives. So we're going to dig into that word, dig into a couple of things about the message on Sunday, and uh, let's get into it. I was mentioning last week that it was kind of a difficult sermon to write. This one came together a lot better. A lot faster. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the essence of the salvation message. I mean, it is just the fact that, I mean, not that it was an easy, that salvation is an easy thing to wrap our heads around because it still makes no freaking sense. Mm-hmm. But it is a lot easier to talk about, you know, right. and, and also because this is one of the words that was kind of at the very start of my thinking around this sermon series is just like, I want to unpack soteriology. Mm-hmm. Which I know is a thought that no one has ever had before in their lives, nope. but it is just a juicy bite your, you know, sink your teeth into it theological word. Mm-hmm. Where like, I mean, who doesn't want to hear the good news of salvation during a sermon? Right. And also mix in some nerdy theology and some nerdy movie references. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that most of the an- the onion being such a central part of the sermon was not how it was written. Really? That was just a little bit of on my feet creativity. Nice job. Um, yeah, I felt good about that. Cause, mm-hmm. And like truly, that was the hardest part of writing the sermon is because I didn't feel, because I like to have my introduction, the body of my sermon, and then the conclusion should have some kind of callback to the introduction. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that and for a very, very long time. I preach through my sermon before it, anyone gets here on Sunday mornings just so that mm-hmm. I know that I'm, you know, so they just kind of get it back in the back of my head. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where I got a lot of the ideas of like, wait, I, at the end of the sermon, I say that this has no analogy. And I accidentally tied those things together without even realizing it until Sunday morning of like, th- I'm going to, I'm going to say this, that this has no analogy where I'm opening up talking about the analogy of the onion. That's better than I think it is. Mm-hmm. It does. But the first, it, it, the question came after we read the, the passage from Genesis, mm. which is a, this is going to be a heavy question. Why did God put the tree there to begin with? Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if he knew that they weren't going to obey, because right. of course he did, Yeah. why was the temptation there to begin with? Right. So I don't have a good answer to that, but... My, because I just haven't studied, studied Genesis well enough, I'm sure I could pull, go get a commentary and, and pull up a good, a better answer. But my sense is that God put the tree there um, as a way of, you know, our whole thing is that we have free will. We mm-hmm. have the freedom to make choices. And I think that God allowed there to be a choice to be made. And God said, don't eat from this. You can do whatever else you want to. Don't eat from this tree. And God expected and still expects humanity to make the right choice. Even though 
God ultimately knows that we're not going to because, sorry, especially now because we live on the other side of this, of this little incident, there is evil in the world. Uh, there is always going to be evil in the world. And from very early on, there has been evil in the world. Um, you know, there, there, and, and that has come from our choices. You know, we, we were given a choice and we chose wrong, but yet we still continue to choose wrong. I think that God always wanted to be a God that provided for the free will of his creation. And that is an exercise in free will, to make the choice to eat that fruit or not. It's almost like he was curious of what was going to happen. Sure. Let's put this here and see how these people react. And mm-hmm. 99%, no. I'm sure I know what's going to happen. Well, let's see. Right. You know? Yep. Hmm. Yep. But what I, what, I, what I hold on to in the midst of that is the fact that God always still had a plan. Mm-hmm. It is that much of a desire of God wanting a free and unforced response to God's provision. You know, God always wanted us to have that option. And so he mm-hmm. presented that option almost from the very beginning. But yet his love never failed in the midst of that. There was always still an option. There was always still a plan. Yes, there were consequences for the actions of Adam and Eve. Life became so much harder. Yet through the rest of human history, God's glory is revealed. And at the the end of the story, if you jump forward to the book of Genesis, there's going to be a great restoration of that original Eden, of that original relationship between God and humanity when all is set right. But yet, what, but again, getting back to this, like, but even in the midst of that, life became harder, things became, we're, we're just going to suck, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, we were given Eden, we, set, we, we forsook Eden, and God said, I'm not going to wipe you off the face of the earth, but yet life's going to be harder. You know, you're going to have to work, you're going to have to toil, you're going to have to weed, you're going to have to you know, to, to, to produce your food and women are going to have this harder time bearing children. It's going to be harder, but yet God didn't just give up on the human project. Mm-hmm. And that continued to be true. Like you, you go from Genesis in the start of Genesis to the middle of Genesis in the story of Noah, humanity has gone completely off course. What scripture says is that God decided to just, you know, get rid of humanity and Noah changed God's mind. Noah didn't change God's mind. God was being a little bit dramatic. You know? <laughs> no, God knew what God was going to do in the first place. Noah pleaded on behalf of humanity. Again, that was a free will choice that he made. Mm-hmm. He, he chose to advocate for humanity. God <sighs> then saved him and his family, started over, but didn't end the project, you know? And then as, as things developed, as things started to kind of move in the right direction, God made covenant with the people of God. And when they forsook that covenant, God still did not give up on the human project. There was still provision. There was still grace. There was still reconciliation. And, and God allowed that free will to happen. Through till Jesus, through to our day, through to the end of time, God is not going to give up on this human project. God is going to bring it to restoration. God is going to bring it to fulfillment. And, you know, that's that's the hope we hold on to. Mm-hmm. And we just give thanks to God for the gift of, of, our, of our free will and our ability to make decisions. It's the beginning. I mean, in order to make heaven 
what heaven is promised to be, you had to have you had to have the fall. I mean, yes. Otherwise, heaven doesn't matter, right? Yep. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean the not the joke, but like the theological, you know, dreaming is that, you know, how boring would life be if it was eat, mm-hmm. you know? It's kind of the, the same it's it it's the same but bigger conversation that my mother and I have had a, a lot of times when like people from places that aren't here that don't really enjoy the variety of weather that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. Does it really mean that much to them when they have a beautiful day? Mm-hmm. Because every day is beautiful. Mm-hmm. We're here, like today was in the mid thirties and <gasps> a bunch amazing. Of snow melted and it's great and there's sunshine and, but because we know what last week was like today was awesome. Mm-hmm. Is today as awesome to people that don't have the range? Does Eden matter to people would even have mattered if people didn't know that there was an alternative. I don't know the answer to that, but that's just a little, you know, theological thought exercise that you play with every now and then. Like if everything was perfect, you know, humanity walked in sunshine and rainbows in the garden and didn't have to do a blessed thing, but just not eat this one thing. And we couldn't handle that. (sighs) certainly made life more interesting mm-hmm. and allowed us to respond to God in different ways than Adam and Eve first had available to them. Mm-hmm. It's way more exciting this way anyway, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, it's really is the essence of salvation. Like we can make terrible decisions mm-hmm. and the only thing that stays the same is God. Yes. Yep. And his view towards us and his, mm-hmm. his love for us right. is the only thing that doesn't change. Which is what gives us substance to our hope. And like the reason why we can even do the things that we do is because we have that knowledge in the back of our heads constantly. Mm-hmm. I like to use the technical terms, but then also define the technical terms and expound upon the technical term. I, thought that, I think this, is a, this has been a fun series for me. Good. So, and hopefully, I, I mm-hmm. feel like it's been received well by the I think it's. I think it has too. So, mm-hmm. It was just so funny that Sarah in the office this week was just like, I don't even know how to pronounce that word. And then right before church, Janine Carpenter pulls me aside. She's like, is this, is this misspelled? <laughs> like, nope, it's just soteriology. And well, what does it mean? And Dorothy Van Bachern looks at her and says, he's going to tell us during the sermon. <laughs> so. That's funny uh, and true. Um, one of the things that I mentioned kind of after, so if you just listen to the sermon, you missed this because it was kind of the part of after the prayer moving towards the table uh, one of the things that I mentioned is that we as United Methodists do not do altar calls very often, um, and that is true. Um, the, the, I mean, despite the fact that I'm sitting here as one that gave his life to Jesus at an, at an altar call, but, you know, that's beside the point. That was a non-United Methodist speaking at a United Methodist church camp. Um, but we do not do altar calls very often, um, but... Okay, so let's pause. Yes. What is that? Yeah. No, oh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, so an altar call is when, so usually at the conclusion of the sermon, traditions that more readily offer altar calls will make some kind of plea towards making a decision on salvation. If you haven't made that decision before, you know, and then they'll call you up to the altar to pray and give your life to Jesus. Um, we don't usually do that. We um, we organize worship so that there is some kind of response to the word, but that's not usually what we do as United Methodists. 
And the reason I was doing some digging as to why that is, and the reason is, is because, and you would be surprised, you know, because we're a very evangelistic movement at, the, at our start. I mean, John Wesley was in the fields calling people to repentance of their sin, um, you know, and and uh, and a, a big part of our history is, you know, revivals and spaces where an altar call would make sense. But what I found in my research this week is that we don't do them very often, but there is an apparatus that exists in our official worship documents that would allow it to do to to happen. Mm-hmm. And we have a very vague and undefined word called a invitation to Christian discipleship, which is, in other words, an altar call. Mm-hmm. But there are just very few that practice it because it has not been our practice for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. You know, we started out as the Methodist movement before we became the Methodist church. We started out as a movement of, you know, of revivals, of, of big events, of, you know, organizing into classes. And then we became institutionalized and became the church in John Wesley's original, like we were just this amorphous blob of people. Good Lord, help us to organize. Wesley gave us these rules for worship, and they, there's just no mention of an altar call in that. And that's because John Wesley, as a priest, as a pastor, comes from the Anglican tradition, which is a much more high church and things are much more formal, and a an altar call would be seen as kind of a low church thing. And mm. so Wesley didn't include it in worship, and so United Methodists have pretty much stopped doing Interesting. And so uh, what I said, said at the end of this, if you didn't listen to worship and just listen to the sermon, is that we may not do altar calls, but we do do individual conversations. I would love to have coffee with you as your pastor to talk about, you know, if you want to make a decision towards Jesus that you haven't made before or want to renew that decision, I want to know, I want people to know that I'm absolutely 100% willing to enter into those conversations. There are ways to make decisions for Jesus that are not an altar call. I mean, that's why we have, I mean, because we're a tradition that practices infant baptism, that's why confirmation is so important. Because that is where, I mean, you are publicly professing your faith. I mean, it doesn't feel like that, but yet that's what it is. Like, let Mm -hmm. us, I mean, I say before every time we do a confirmation service, let us profess our faith together as it's contained in the Old and New Testaments. That is a public profession of faith. We use the words of the Apostles' Creed to make that happen, but that's a profession of faith. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, and then you turn around and then you come and take vows to be a part of the church, and the church takes vows on behalf of you to help raise you in the church. And so we don't formally practice altar calls in the way that people think we do, but yet we still do bring people into making a decision about Jesus. We just do it in a more, a more educating way. Mm-hmm. So in the Romans passage, we used, we used three different passages of Scripture on Sunday. We used the, the start of the Genesis story, or the, the start of the fall story in Genesis, um, and then... Um, where Paul kind of picks up on the theme and says there's we've all fallen short of the glory of God and then also then presents the how it how it how it gets solved which is through the death of Jesus um one of the things that I was thinking about is you know our men's bible study that meets on Wednesday mornings went through Romans a few months ago and like they really struggled with the with the, with the, with chapter 5 
with the idea of a person like it's it's hard to get a person to die for somebody like that that really tripped us up it is hard for us to fathom someone dying for us or Mm -hmm. dying for another person but yet there are still places and 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 lines of work and 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 lines of even vocation and calling where that's exactly what's happening like i Mm -hmm. think you know because one of the, the the line that i did cut is that jesus talks about there being no greater love than laying down the life for your friends and like jesus is obviously saying that to his disciples and also saying that to you and to me who are by grace and salvation the friends of jesus but yet i think that we can still think of examples of those around us that you know are in dangerous lines of work that Mm -hmm. you know that will lay down their lives i mean i think in our congregation we have veterans that did that in our congregation we have i mean it feels like half of the fire department is in is in our church Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's hard for us to it's it's still hard for us to think about that being the reality but yet i think that there is an important word there for of 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 thankfulness for people that that do put themselves in danger Mm -hmm. for the sake of other people and again like because i know myself and and i know what what what's underneath my layers that still just doesn't make the death of jesus make any more sense because jesus gave up his life for me and that's just crazy yeah, i like how you close the sermon because we all any reasonable human being mm-hmm. has to think the same way right we don't deserve it we never will right but for some reason jesus did it mm-hmm. i'll never understand it right thank goodness yes absolutely yeah Brian and I were talking earlier today. Just we got on the Bible. I don't know how we, he's he's a very religious person, so we always have interesting, interesting conversations. He's a Baptist, so nice. I don't know. We have good conversations. Anyway, he's Great. like, I was like, you know, I will never because I have a Bible sitting on my desk that I read every morning before I start work. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I will never understand like half of what's written in here. If I under, <laughs> ever understand half of what's in here, I'll be thrilled. But thank goodness it's here. Mm. you know yep and it's so crazy to me along the lines of salvation so much of this we will never understand oh yeah we will be standing there asking god i feel like when we get to heaven i will be standing there and asking him questions for hours and hours and hours and he will get super annoyed with me (laughs) but there are so many things in that book that i will never understand until i can ask real questions yes to him personally you know what i mean yeah Absolutely. And don't worry, as your pastor, I don't take offense to that. Right. Because I have a lot of the same questions, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But in salvation is just one of those things. Oh, yeah. There's one of those things that there's no way we can fully understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Those are my interesting conversations of the day. I like it. Mm-hmm. So what's next? Yeah. So next week, uh, we're going to be digging into the idea of theodicy. Um, and theodicy is about the problem of, of evil. We've talked about this on the podcast before that, you know, the idea, I mean, the, the question of if God is all good, all loving, all present, why do bad things happen? Mm-hmm. Our response to that is called theodicy. Theodicy is wrapped up in our idea of 
God still working in the midst of bad times, of hard things. So we're going to be talking about the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Not Joseph, the father of Jesus, but the first Joseph. Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his brothers, left for dead, has this unreal, amazing, meteoric rise to Pharaoh's second-in-command in Egypt. And at the end of the story, his starving, terrified, sorry brothers show up. And Joseph has a choice to make. They ask for food. They ask for, for, for provisions. They ask for, they don't recognize their brother. They don't recognize Joseph. But they ask for all of these things. And Joseph reveals himself to them as this brother that they left for dead. And they think, oh no, we done messed up. They start begging for mercy. They start offering themselves as slaves. They just, they fall over themselves to get back into Joseph's good graces. And Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. Mm -hmm. And so theodicy speaks of the ways that God doesn't cause the evil of our lives, doesn't, doesn't cause the evil of our world, but yet still works through them to bring about good so that God is still all good and that God is still all loving and God is still all powerful. It's a really delicate balance to strike, but it's what we're going to, it's what we're going to dig into on Sunday. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on the Comfort Time podcast. Join us again next year in, in person here at the church online or for the podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.